This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. Sadly, over the years, we have seen far too many examples of leaders who allow toxicity and rampant corruption in their leadership styles and organizations. So how do we as individuals and leaders hold ourselves accountable? And is it ever too late to redeem ourselves? I have Olga Chan, head of Acumen Academy Malaysia, on the line with me today to discuss more leadership and accountability. Thank you so much, Christine. Hi, everyone. I am Oga. I lead Acumen Academy Malaysia. We are a program in partnership with YTL Foundation, part of an affiliate program um, by Acumen that is dedicated to changing the way the world tackles poverty. So what we do here at Acumen Academy Malaysia is that we run a fellows program that recruits and also enables impact-driven, values-based leaders to build the skills, um, bond, and also accountability for them to build the Malaysia that we all want to live in and share. And we ground ourselves in this new kind of leadership that we call moral leadership. Fantastic. So uh, before we get into what moral leadership is and how to essentially instill it uh, into our lives, right? Uh, I would like for you to share maybe some examples of the, I guess, corruption that uh, we are trying to combat in the first place by instilling this uh, idea. So uh, maybe a more general example to start with. Yeah, let's go back to something that all of us can relate with, or I think most of us. At the age of 17, I remember taking my driver's license. It's a class exam, you pass your theory, and then the next thing they give you a briefing about your practical exam, right? And they say, uh, just prepare an extra X amount. Um, this will allow you to get your confirmed pass. Some of us know it as that. Um, the rest of us call it the copy lesson um, and you will look around. I remember looking around. Nobody questioned that it was said in front of all of us, 30 plus of us in the class. And for those of us who took it, we have no choice but to prepare that money. And I still remember that story until today because that was our rite of passage to what authority looks like, people with power. And that becomes the norm. We are told by our adults, if you want to get things your way, if you don't want to get into trouble, just make sure you have extra cash in hand. Always have that. And unfortunately, that has become our culture here in Malaysia. We have accepted it and we say everybody does it anyway. So why fight it? You can't change it. But that has set us up to being a Malaysia that this is not what we want to pass on to our future generation. We think it can be better, but we don't know how to do it, right? Which is why we're talking about it today. Um, just to make it clearer. So corruption um, is estimated that it costs us 4% of our GDP every year. That's about 60 billion. Um, corruption also robs us of our economic opportunities. Investors don't want to invest um, or they are hesitant to invest, right? So with lack of development, it also costs us um, our economic growth and our community growth. Uh, the third piece, uh, the effect of corruption or abuse of power also is we don't feel as safe, whether it's in our community or our workplace and in our country, justice has always hurdles to it. So yeah, this is generally, I think, a snapshot of corruption that we all can relate with. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's to the point where I think we're really desensitized to exactly how insidious that is. And and to us, maybe it's just okay. It's just a way of life. But like you said, in reality, it impacts our country and also the way that we are as people on a much grander scale um, than perhaps initially uh, expected. But, you know, obviously financial um, means are not the only form of corruption or the only way that people can be corrupted, right? And one of the things we want to talk about is also how this can manifest in the workplace. And I believe you do have uh, some stories to share about that as well. Yeah, sure. There's so many, right? Let's name it. Abuse of power, not necessarily corruption. Corruption, uh, not necessarily money involved. Sometimes it's just you don't use, uh, you use your power for the wrong reasons, right? I do have a friend who, she is a CXO of a huge startup. And it's at the mercy of people with authority. Um, one day when authority needed her to pledge um, support for them uh, because they needed to win something, uh, she felt very shaken. Uh, she was shaken because she's at the mercy of this authority, right? The company that she's running. Um, but she didn't want to do something that will be seen as betrayal to her team's values, her, the people who have towards her making the right choice. So she wasn't the only CXO, there were others. So she told the other CXOs that this person uh, of authority is going to come after us and make us say something that we will not agree with. I think it will be easier if you just switch off your phone for the next few days so that you do not cave in under that pressure. It would have been easier for them to just leave on their phone and say yes to whatever the authority wants them to do because... Um, their journey will be smoother in hopes that this authority will always protect them, right? But they also wanted to make sure that they were role models to their team uh, because this can bite back one day. So they decided to do what's right, not what's easy. So this is not an example of corruption of power, but this is an example of making the right choice even when it's extremely difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, a story like that is all too commonplace. We've often heard of people, um, you know, not just in Malaysia, of course, uh, uh, everywhere else in the world as well, who, uh, much like the authorities in that story, are using their positions in order to um, pressure or otherwise influence, you know, things to their advantage that compromise people's integrity and their own uh, ability to make their own decisions, right? So um, I think that's that's one of those interesting things. Now, Obviously, though, I think as people, I like to think anyway, maybe call me a naive or an optimist, but I like to think we don't set out to find ourselves in these situations. And we certainly don't set out to actively abuse power when we do have it. I like to think anyway, <laughs> perhaps there are some out there that uh, um, uh, sees power only to abuse it. But for the most part, I don't think everyone is out to get, you know, other people, right? So how does it start? How do you begin, I mean, as a person, uh, maybe even without realizing to um, to abuse the power and the privilege that you do have? Thank you so much for this question, Christine. I remember a fellow in our program actually asked that. He said, I'm very sure all the people of power, or most of them, started off with genuine intentions, like us. We came into this program, we want to do good, we want to impact Malaysia in a way that we want to pass on to our children, our grandchildren. But somehow these people um, lost their way. What happened? And we've come to realize that it's very important that you have people around you that are 
not there because of how famous they are, how rich they are, or how powerful they are. Unfortunately, that's how we like to connect with people. Eh? Oh, you've got so many likes on Facebook, on Instagram, on social media, whatever, LinkedIn. I, I want to be your friend, right? Or, or that person is someone's son or someone's um, good friend. So I can get favors if I build relationship with you, right? So the way we have been building relationships might not have always been the um, best. Um, so one thing that we're starting to reimagine is how do we... Uh, build relationship based on values, not on money, fame, or power. Because when you build a relationship based on values, you have shared accountability towards those values and you can hold each other uh, responsible towards what is it that you're trying to achieve. And like uh, the story of the my friend who is a CXO at a startup company, she knew that her team had a certain culture that they wanted to exemplify integrity, honesty, humility. And of course, as CXOs, they hold each other accountable to that so that their company staff, thousands of them will follow suit. Values-based relationship is very important and they're built on accountability. Um, the problem is we are very people-pleasing people. We don't like to make another person lose face. We don't want to lose face also by calling out um, what's uncomfortable. And because of that, we unfortunately let the first thing that made us uncomfortable and the next thing next time it happens we close one eye again third time it happens maybe a bit too late already fourth time it happens next thing it, it becomes like a tumor already it has evolved from uh, apple become durian or whatever it is right maybe it started with just tardiness and then it went on to uh, making inappropriate remarks uh, because nobody calls you out, right? And then you realize that that's okay and then you do something more. It becomes bullying. And then from there, you realize that nobody's going to question you. Then you can abuse your power in other ways that will benefit you. So, yeah, uh, that's my long way of explaining why why I think people get to where they are even though they didn't set themselves out to be that kind of leader is relationships that were defined um, not in the best way and also not holding each other accountable to doing what's right. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the interesting things that you brought up as well, although I do admit that, you know, on a practical level, the people that you network with, you know, uh, especially in a professional capacity, you probably will be networking with them with some intention in mind of, uh, you know, some way that they could help you or you could help them, right? That is, I think, something that is inescapable. But something else that I would like to bring up as well is also to ensure that while the people that you surround yourself with have a the same sort of core values as you, but that you're not in an echo chamber as well. I think that's something that is really important. I think that, um, unfortunately, a lot of people who find themselves in positions of power, like, like you said, um, also find themselves surrounded by people who want to please them blindly, right? And not actually question their decisions, not actually engage in healthy debate with them over things. Like, no one is right all the time, you know? No one is making the right decisions all the time uh, as well. Uh, I know certainly for me, uh, I don't necessarily want to surround myself with people who think the exact same way that I do all of the time because, A, how boring would that be? And B, I don't get to grow and learn as a person. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people who find themselves in positions of power are surrounded by people who just go, yeah, that's a great idea. Yep, that's cool. We'll just do whatever you want. And that, I think... And uh, much like you said, it leads to them not being challenged. It leads to them not being, um, not thinking through the consequences of their decisions and also how what they're doing could potentially even have a ripple effect on the people around them, the people that they're leading as well. 
Yeah, definitely, Christine. Um, I definitely have a personal experience to share where I really love the job, but um, things were not going right. And when things were not going right, I did escalate it. And unfortunately, it's very, very difficult for uh, even people in power to do the right thing sometimes because, they're like you say, humans are not perfect. Um, and to expect you to do this set of things uh, when you didn't start doing it yesterday is a lot to ask of. If this is the way they have functioned for many years, um, you need to slowly bring them along because with every change, there are going to be losses. There are going to be people that they have to disappoint. Um, and they also have things that they value that they don't want to let go of, right? So unfortunately, in my situation, um, when I actually raised questions it was just brushed aside and I was told that okay great I know that maybe you're doing a good job uh, within a team but you stick out like a sore thumb and we can't afford to rock the boat this team that is happy with each other but you are the one that stick out, sticks out like a sore thumb so there's nothing that we can do about this um, so I think what's very important is Again, we can't expect people to make these changes immediately, but do whatever we can, right? That's why we're having this conversation to explore different ideas. It's, I think the first thing is have that humility. Mm-hmm. Humility to see things as it is, um, acknowledge it, at the same time have the audacity to reimagine how it can be. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is for you to even have that humility, sometimes you need to be called out. Yeah. And... For you to allow yourself to be called out, you need to create an environment where you should be comfortable to be questioned. You should allow people to question you and talk about it. Um, so I think these two things are definitely very difficult if it's not something that you have been practicing. Yeah. But if we can even humor that idea for a while and just do one small experiment tomorrow, allow a staff member to ask us a question without retaliating, without shutting them down, without ignoring it, see what happens. Does the whole world crumble? Most probably not, right? Mm. So when you have you allow such small experiments, it gives you confidence to go two steps further. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. But unfortunately, we do have to take a break for the moment. I will be continuing my conversation with Olga Chan, head of Acumen Academy Malaysia. After this, this is Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Bribe Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong, and today on the line with me is Olga Chan, head of Acumen Academy Malaysia. And today we're discussing the topic of moral leadership and accountability. And this is just in light of how we've seen people and organizations and leaders be corrupted or influenced in perhaps a negative way, people who have abused the power and privileges afforded to them. And We're hoping with this conversation that we'll at least shine some light on ways that this can be avoided or at the very least that hopefully this can be reversed. Um, So before the break, we talked a little bit about examples of how this can manifest in life and in work. Um, But the overall crux of the solution to this is moral leadership, is the concept of moral leadership. Um, So before the break, we kind of touched a little bit on humility, allowing yourself to be questioned uh, without consequence to those who question you. Um, And I believe that's sort of the first steps, right, towards the idea of moral leadership. 
maybe I can tell, uh, I can speak a little bit about moral leadership because like, wow, pendidikan moral, are we going to touch about that? Like, I thought we left that like 15 years ago already. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, moral leadership is a new kind of leadership that is based on character driven by values and purpose. It oftentimes requires us to do uh, what's right, um, even when it's extremely difficult. Um, for example, holding each other accountable, holding yourself accountable to a certain standard. It's very important because just now we spoke about sometimes we develop relationships based on money, fame, and power. That shouldn't be the only thing that we look at when we develop relationships or pick our role models. We should also be considering the character and values of the other person. And why this is important is because it allows us to lead ourselves and others towards a better potential um, without compromising on what's best for the greater good. It's also the kind of leadership that builds trust, inspires others, and it allows the next person to do the next difficult but right thing. Just to say this again, none of us are perfect, but we can always be better than yesterday. So moral leadership um, grounds us to strive for that. Absolutely. It sounds very common sense, right? To just try to be a little bit better than the, than the day before. And it doesn't feel like it's too daunting a task. But unfortunately, you know, for many people, it is quite difficult. And I think a question here for some people might be like, look, I would love to do that. I would love to uh, hold myself and others accountable, but I'm in a situation or position where I maybe am embroiled in a culture or in an organization that does not uphold those values. And perhaps it's a situation I can't leave for whatever reason. Um, I mean, how do you address that? How do you try to implement a sense of moral leadership when your surroundings are not supportive of that? We have to acknowledge those who even realize that things are not right. Um, they're in the right track. But the next thing is, what do I need to do? What can I do, right? I cannot risk my job. My I have been here for maybe 10 years and there's someone else who close an eye and seems to escalate, uh, climb on the ladder faster than me and I, I cannot jeopardize whatever that I've been working for, right? So um, moral leadership also redefines leadership not as a title. You don't have to be a CEO, a program lead, a senior consultant, whatever that is. Um, you can be anybody. Moral leadership defines leadership as moments, not as a role, not a prescribed role. So I can give a very uh, easy example of a friend in just a social group where uh, in this WhatsApp group, we were all talking about, let's go to this place and that place. And then one of those places, someone say, hey, there's a rela there that will stop us from going in because you're not supposed to go in. And then someone else says, I just tip off the rela only lah. <laughs> He'll happily take the money, right? And then someone else say, actually, I know that rela, he will not take your money. <laughs> so this can go two ways, right? It can be like, yeah, that rela dumb one, right? Got money, don't want to take which I've seen too often. We chastise people who uphold their integrity. Or it actually went, uh, it didn't go that way, it went another way because what happened was another friend just said, 
wow, that's integrity. And from there, she set the tone already. Someone else said, that's moral leadership. <laughs> Just like that. It wasn't even a work uh, chat that this took place. It was just a social group where we were having fun exploring options and then it happened and we were talking about this really like who wouldn't take this money and then it became a lesson on, wow, actually all it takes is for one person to call it what it is. You see the wrong thing, just call it corruption. If you see the right things, just say it. Integrity. And it didn't take much for her and it didn't take much for us to realize actually, wow, that's all we need to name what we see. Hmm. On that note, I want to make a point here about uh, a term we've been talking about and mentioning a lot in this conversation, which is the idea of accountability. And um, from my perspective, a lot of organizations or corporations look at accountability as apology and they're not the same thing. You know, I think when we see, for example, uh, news headlines about organizations being held accountable for something, it's because they've already done something wrong and they are apologizing for it in some press release or statements after the fact. And I think that when we are talking about accountability, it's it's an ongoing process. It's not just making sure, oh, you know, if people figure out that what we're doing is not okay, then we just, oh, we realize and we're holding ourselves accountable, quote unquote, that we realize that it's not cool. Um like you say, it's about acknowledging what behaviors we would like to see and what behaviors we would not like to see in the world, I think. I think that is the real um, meaning of accountability in day-to-day life, right? We have to do that a lot for ourselves just as much as we do for other people. You know, it's very easy to uh, point to figure and say like, oh, that person is horrible. Like they're doing all these bad things. But to also, I think, to look inwards and think, are we doing anything that is actually upholding the structure? Are we doing anything that is actually supporting the way that this person behaves? Are we enabling them to continue this, you know, potentially toxic behavior as well? Or even ourselves, are there things that we're unconsciously or subconsciously doing that, um, you know, we've maybe bought into the culture that we're in? And, you know, to ask yourself these questions and to be honest with yourself, I think is also another form of accountability. It's not just about apologizing after the fact and um i mean what do you have to say about that wow thank you christine (laughs) um for just drawing like the common conception of what accountability means is apology um i actually have forgot (laughs) that is how it looks like outside because in our world like you say it's actually a process one of my team members told me this, and I really like her definition of accountability. It's a choice that you make to decide to do what's right uh, as opposed to just sticking to what you're expected to do uh, by the rules or your job description. And it's in service of the larger purpose. So accountability means holding yourself and others responsible so that you do not stray from what is right. So let's just say... Uh, Let's give an example. In the workplace, we all are familiar with this. The culture of tardiness in Malaysia is part and parcel of our life. Right? Why you want to come on time when other people's going to be late? And let's say you are a team lead and you realize this. Um, 10 across the meeting, 10, 15, only people start to trickle in. And uh, guiltily, you're part of that culture because you also come at 10, 15. 
So accountability means realizing that you're part of the problem and also part of the solution. So what is it that you can do to make things better the next time this happens? So as a leader, you need to acknowledge, hey team, I'm so sorry. I realized that we have been setting one hour meetings and we often lose 15 to 20 minutes because we don't come on time, including myself. Um, that humility to acknowledge that you have not been perfect oftentimes uh, lower the bar for people to be able to acknowledge that they too have not been perfect. You are modeling it that it's okay to make mistakes, but let's do it better next time, right? Mm. So you acknowledge your own mistake. You hold yourself accountable to make sure that you don't be tired, don't model a culture of tidiness yourself. And then you also hold your team accountable. Hold your team accountable, not asking them to apologize uh, or to punish them. Holding them accountable can be as uh, not punitive by just saying, hey, Christine, I realize that you've been coming late for meetings and I think we can be better and show up for each other better as a team. And say that with the intention to call Christine back, yeah. not to punish Christine. And I think also it's about, um, also it's not just about saying your intentions, but also to follow through, right? So let's say in this particular case with the tardiness issue, if the next meeting, you know, um, you start on time, you, you know, no matter who is there or who's not there, you just get what you can done as much as you can without certain people. Then it's like you can see the effect of, OK, there is actually a consequence to the behavior that needs to be corrected. Right. I think, for example, you know, or um, another solution could be, hey, guys, you know, if we want to meet at a place um uh, at a certain time, maybe let's all just check uh, ways, for example, if we need to drive there and maybe just plan to leave a bit earlier um, so that we can avoid being late to this thing. Like very simple things that are not, like you said, not punitive. And uh, I think that's really important um, because I think people double down sometimes out of like spite when they feel like they're being punished or if they feel that they're put in a defensive position. Um, but to provide, you know, very clear um, solutions and also consequences for like the behavior that you want to see. So just going back to the fact that we are all not perfect. Uh, as humans, we learn by making mistakes. And when you have someone who hold you accountable, who cause correct you, it's not a curse. It's actually a gift. And if you can see that, you will ex uh, your growth will actually um, escalate faster and further. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would like to sort of round up this conversation um, with uh, hopefully, I guess, a more hopeful note, which is for organizations or even people that are, you know, uh, in some way or shape corrupted or are not performing more leadership or, you know, are just um, not really upholding the behavior we'd like to see in the world. Is there redemption for uh, people who and organizations who um, have gotten to that level? Our wish is nobody would know, right? Um, and that is part of the problem. We wish nobody would know and we keep testing the boundaries until someone knows and then we make an, a public apology and hopefully we can redeem ourselves. Um, but once the world knows about it, can you still redeem yourself? I think you can. Um, I'm going to tell the story uh, that... Acumen's founder told me about where um, one of these big oil company committed a huge scandal and came to Acumen and asked Acumen to take this donation. And uh, our founder, Jacqueline Novogratz, 
she decided to partner with this organization, not because of the donation. She said, because they know how much they have screwed up and they know they can no longer do this alone without someone else who can hold them accountable to what is better. So Jacqueline said that even if people question me, for sure people will question and have questioned her. She said she will make that decision again, despite the consequences, because she know while it does not look good, she has the opportunity to partner with an organization that knows that they need to do better. And by partnering with Acumen, they can get there. So I think there is redemption. You can always uh, turn a new leaf. Tomorrow is always a new day. But let's make sure that new day does not repeat history. Fantastic. All right, that's about it for today's conversation. Thank you so much, Olga, for talking to me today all about moral leadership and accountability. Thank you, Christine. It's been a pleasure. This has been Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. And if you've missed any of today's conversation, you can go ahead and listen back to it on our app, which is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. You can also head over to bfm.my to listen back to the podcast and download it as well. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9. The Business Station.